Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, those of you who own a smartphone know that there is an app for pretty much anything nowadays. In fact, since 2009, that's been Apple's registered trademark. There's an app for that. Uh, do you know what app is short for? Application. App, short for application, refers to a small computer program that you download onto your smartphone to make everyday tasks easier, simpler more efficient. And as I mentioned, there's an app for pretty much anything. Uh, there's an app for checking your email. There's an app for managing your calendar. There's an app for social media sites like Facebook and Instagram. Uh, there's an app to purchase your favorite beverage at Starbucks. There's an app to read the Bible. Uh, there's an app to check your children into daycare as you drop your children off. And at one point, I'm not sure if this app is available anymore, but I do know that it existed at one point. I kid you not, there was even an app to help you avoid doing things that you don't want to do. To give us an idea of how this app functioned, let's consider a scenario. Let's say that you have a friend who is moving on Saturday, and your friend comes up to you and says, are you available to help me move? Well, the real answer is yes. Your Saturday is wide open you have nothing going on, you have no plans at all, the honest answer, the answer that you want to give to your friend is no. You would rather be getting a root canal than helping your friend move. Of course, you're an honest person. You're a person of integrity. You don't want to lie. If only you had something else planned that would make it easier to tell your friend you're not available. Well, that's where this app came in. The app was called Got This Thing. Got This Thing. Here's how the app worked. The app used your phone's location to populate your Google Calendar with local events gathered from the internet. All you had to do was open the app and click on the Get Busy button, and within moments, your empty schedule turned into a list of things to do. Now you can't help your friend move on Saturday. Do you know why? Because you've got a party to attend. You know the person who's throwing the party, but you've got a party to attend. You've got a seafood festival to go to. You've got a 5K to run, and you're not even a runner. Matt Towson, a comedian from Manhattan who created this app, I think he created it back in 2015, he revealed the purpose of the app. This is what he said. The app is for people who want to avoid doing things. And so there we have it. At least the guy's honest. You know, folks, it's fascinating to consider how we come up with such creative ways to get out of certain tasks. And the sad reality is, is that this attitude, this mindset, this thinking infiltrates local churches. And the result is that the work of ministry, the work of the church, is put on the shoulders of a select few instead of on all the people of God. Uh, we are in the midst of a sermon series here at Asbury. Uh, we saw the bumper video just a moment ago. Uh, we are in the midst of a sermon series here at Asbury called A Community 
that thrives, a community that thrives. In these messages, we are examining, we are exploring uh, the vow of membership that we take when we join this church, and not this, just this church, but any United Methodist congregation. Uh, this vow includes supporting the church and faithfully participating in the church's ministries in five key ways, through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Prayers, of course, include praying for the congregation, praying for the larger community that the congregation serves. Presence means our worship attendance on Sunday morning, what we're doing right now. Gifts refers to regular and consistent financial contributions, not once-in-a-while contributions, not, okay, it's December 31st, I have some money left over, I'm going to give that to the church contributions, but regular and consistent financial contributions. Service refers to volunteering, volunteering within the church, but also volunteering within the community on behalf of the church. And then witness is all about sharing our faith and inviting others to engage with us so that they can experience a life-changing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. When we collectively take this five-fold vow seriously and uphold this vow with integrity, integrity is crucial, amen? If we are members of this church, this is the vow that we took. So let's uphold this vow by the good grace of God. When we take this vow seriously, uphold it with integrity, then our congregation will become a healthy, thriving biblically functioning community, empowered by God's grace, an unstoppable force of love in this world. Up until this point in the sermon series, we have delved in to the first two aspects of this fivefold vow, prayers and presence. Originally, the plan was to continue in order by discussing gifts today. But then a few weeks ago, as I was thinking about the sermon series, it occurred to me, well, why not switch up the order, talk about gifts next week, and focus on service instead? After all, today, as we've said, is All Saints Sunday, a day where we not only remember uh, the saints who have gone before us in the faith, uh, those men and those women who have poured into us, who have shaped us, who have taught us, who have shown us what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but we also recognize today that we too are the saints of God. Do you know that? We, too, are the saints of God. We are the saints of God here in this world, entrusted with the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to Scripture, if I'm doing my job well as a pastor, then I'm equipping the saints for the work of ministry so that the saints can serve in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul shares in his letter to the church in Ephesus. Listen with me to these words. This is from Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. And again, this is the Apostle Paul writing. Paul says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility, the responsibility of all these people that he's just identified, their responsibility is to equip God's people. The more literal translation is to equip the saints. Some translations say the saints. To equip the saints to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. You ever wonder what a pastor's job is? The Apostle Paul gives us insight in this text that we just read. The pastor's job is not to be at every meeting. 
is not to attend every single event at the church and in the community. When the pastor can do those things, that's wonderful, but that's not the pastor's primary job. The pastor's primary job is not to wear skinny jeans and to make jokes and to keep people entertained and not ruffle feathers. No. The pastor's primary job, according to this passage, through the pastor's preaching and teaching and spiritual leadership and vision casting, is to equip the saints. Who are the saints? All of you. Yes, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint, according to Scripture. Listen, you might not feel like a saint. You might not think of yourself as a saint, but you are a saint Nevertheless, it doesn't mean that you don't sin. Of course, you sin. we all sin. You are still a saint. And so my job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to serve in the name of Jesus Christ so that the church's mission can move forward in this world. Contrary to popular belief, the church does not exist to cater to its members and their preferences. That is simply not why the church exists. Rather, the church exists to advance the ministry of Jesus So often we forget this vital mission. My pastor growing up was a man named Dick Wills. Now, he's retired now, lives in Lakeland. When he was leading Christ Church United Methodist in Fort Lauderdale, the congregation where I came to faith in Jesus, one time Dick had this gentleman who approached him. He was a longtime member of the church, well-connected, well-regarded, and this man was upset that they had changed the style of music at the service he normally attended. This was back in the early 1990s when a lot of churches began to incorporate contemporary music into uh, what they offered in their worship services. And so this man was upset that the music had become more contemporary in the service that he normally attended. And so he told Dick that because of this, he was going to leave the church. And Dick said, my friend, I understand that you're upset right now, and I understand that you prefer the other music, but you got to understand that since we started to add this new music, our church has started reaching people that we weren't reaching before. A lot of people in this community living in brokenness, not knowing God's love in a personal way, these people are coming to experience life and salvation in Jesus Christ. But I get it. It's not the music that you enjoy. It's not the music that you prefer. I have an idea. Why not go to the 11 o'clock service later in the morning? That service has all that same music that you prefer. Guy says, I can't do that. And Dick says, how come? He says, well, I've got an important reason. I play golf every single Sunday morning at precisely 12 noon, or I guess at that point it's the afternoon, but I play golf every Sunday at precisely 12 noon. That's going to interfere with my golf schedule. And Dick said, Okay. Well, would you consider teeing off just 15 minutes later? Instead of golfing at noon, golf at 12.15 so that more people can experience life in Jesus Christ. The man responded to Dick with just two words. This is an exact quote. Hell no. Not just no. He said, hell no. He left. He found another church in that community that offered the music that he liked at the time that he preferred, that was convenient to him. Folks, the church does not exist 
to cater to its members and their preferences. The church exists to advance the ministry of Jesus Christ. And for us, you know what this means? This means dying to ourselves. Jesus talked about this in the Gospels, that we die to ourselves. We lay aside our preferences. We take up our cross, and we recognize the shared part that we all play in the work of Jesus Christ because we all play a part in the work of Jesus Christ, not just the pastors, not just the church staff. We all do. The Apostle Paul, whom we mentioned just a moment ago, Uh, The Apostle Paul, one of the primary writers of the New Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. 13 of those books were written by the Apostle Paul. Well, in his writings, Paul uses a number of different metaphors when speaking about the church. For instance, he calls the church the bride of Jesus. He calls the church the family of God. That's why he refers to his readers as brothers and sisters in the faith. But the predominant metaphor that Paul uses, the metaphor that Paul uses for the church more than any other metaphor, do you know what it is? The church is the body of Jesus. The church is the body of Jesus. Now, what does this mean? Well, when Jesus ascended, because Jesus came among us at Christmas time, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended, he went back to God the Father. Well, when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descended. He sent us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity or the Godhead, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to collectively become Jesus' body. So that the work that Jesus started when Jesus came among us, that work of spreading hope and peace and healing and joy and love and justice and reconciliation, that work continues through ordinary, everyday people like us, by God's grace, until Jesus returns one day in the future. And when all of us step up as God's people and embrace our place in the body of Jesus Christ, incredible things happen. We see a powerful demonstration of this in the book of Acts. Now, Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. We start with the four Gospels. What are the four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four Gospels tell us the story of Jesus. Acts tells us the story of the early church. Well, when the church initially got started, the church faced a lot of organizational challenges. One of the challenges that the church had to confront had to do with making sure the vulnerable people were being looked after. And so listen with me to what it says here in Acts chapter 6. This is verse 1 of Acts 6. It says, But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Can you believe that? That Christians at one point were discontent? I'm so glad that doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So even in its infancy, I mean, the church just barely got started. Even in its infancy, there was conflict. There was conflict between two groups, those who spoke Hebrew, those who spoke Greek. Now, it's important to remember that at this point in the story of the church, the majority of the people coming to faith in Jesus Christ were Jewish by background. After all, Jesus was Jewish, the disciples were Jewish. This is before Christianity spread to the Gentiles or those outside the Jewish faith. And among these Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus, two groups emerged. Those who spoke Hebrew, or an ancient form of Hebrew called Aramaic. Uh, Jesus spoke Aramaic, the disciples spoke Aramaic. Um, These Jews uh, who came to follow Jesus Christ, uh, who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic, they were more conservative 
Uh, they were very zealous in upholding Jewish law, what we call Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, they were uh, pretty conservative, very traditional. And yes, they followed Jesus Christ, but their cultural identity was deeply rooted in Judaism. That was the first group. Then you had the second group. The second group consisted of those who spoke Greek. They were more relaxed in their observance of the law, and they were not as culturally Jewish. These two groups were already at odds with each other before they became followers of Jesus, and unfortunately, even after they came to Jesus, they still couldn't fully come together. And so finally, all of this conflict, all of this tension came to a boiling point when the Greek-speaking believers accused the Hebrew-speaking believers of discriminating against their widows and the daily distribution of food. Widows were among the most vulnerable back then. Widows couldn't work. If they were beyond childbearing years, they typically didn't remarry. Society didn't have any social programs to care for widows. However, the church had a system in place. But as we discover in this passage, this system was being misused. There was some discrimination that was going on. It required correction. So let's see what happened next. Uh, verses 2 through 6 of Acts 6. It says, so the 12. Who are the 12? The 12 disciples, now one of these disciples had been replaced. Judas at this point was gone. He was replaced by a man named Matthias. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer in teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, this is the same Stephen who later became the first martyr. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Over the years as a pastor, I have come to recognize that I cannot always personally address every single issue facing the church. I'm one person. I have limited capabilities. I have limited gifting. And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll call a meeting and I'll empower other people to tackle these challenges. And when doing this, I take my cue from this passage, from this story, because that's essentially what the apostles do. The apostles say, hey, listen, we got to spread the message of Jesus Christ to other places. After all, Jesus said to us earlier in the book of Acts, you got to you know, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. So widows are important. we we got to make sure that widows are being taken care of, so let's empower these people. And they're not just random people. They're not just any people. They're well-regarded. They're full of the Spirit. They're full of wisdom. Let's empower these people to handle this sensitive issue. And so that's what happened. And then once that happened, listen to what transpired next because of this delegation. So God's message continued to spread. Can you believe that? It continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. And so this prompts us to consider, what would have happened if the apostles had tried to do everything themselves, not delegated this responsibility to others? the Christian message would have been stifled. The church's growth would have been stunted. 
Being a Christian means recognizing the shared part that we all play in the work of Jesus Christ. Whether this work includes teaching the Word of God like the apostles were tasked to do, or looking after the needs of widows like these seven individuals were assigned to do. And yet, instead of embracing this work, this work that we're called to, it seems that many of us are reluctant to participate in it. In one of the churches I served before I came to Asbury, I was greeting people at the door one Sunday morning. And this woman came up to me, and she expressed frustration that we didn't offer an additional adult Sunday school class. We offered one adult Sunday school class, but we didn't offer a second one. And she thought that we needed a second one, that the other class was too full. And I thought about it, and I said, you know what? You're right. You are absolutely right. There is a need for an additional adult Sunday school class. And I know you. I know your gifts. I know your faith. I know your background. I think that you are just the person to lead it. She gave me this really funny look, and she said, no, pastor, you have misunderstood me. There's a need for a class. I am not going to lead it. Somebody else should do it. You see, that's our tendency. We are great at pointing out needs, aren't we? I mean, we're great at pointing out needs. We are great at identifying gaps, but then when it actually comes to addressing those needs and filling those gaps, we would prefer to leave that work to somebody else. We hesitate, we are reluctant to claim our part in the body of Christ, and consequently, the church does not thrive. If we want the church to thrive, and hopefully we all want the church to thrive, then we need to do our part, step up, and share in this work. Folks, that's the whole reason God gave us spiritual gifts. Do you know what a spiritual gift is? This is a quick definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given to us by God himself through the Holy Spirit, the purpose of which is to build up the church so that the body of Jesus can function in this world. In these passages that are listed here, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, a number of spiritual gifts are identified. Do you know what some spiritual gifts are? Give me some examples. Teaching, administration, shepherding, prophecy. Okay. Yeah, there are a number of different spiritual gifts identified, a number of different ones. In fact, every follower of Jesus has at least one spiritual gift. And you know what? If you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, Chris, I have no idea what my spiritual gifts are, you are very fortunate today because, and this is up here on the screen, (laughs) you asked for it. There's an online spiritual gifts inventory that you can take. There's a QR code. If you're saying to yourself, I don't even know what a QR code is, uh, there's a website that you can go to. But I would invite you today, go online. Don't do it right now during the service, but at some point today, (laughs) go online. Take the assessment. Find out what your spiritual gifts are. And then once you find out what your spiritual gifts are, let us know and consider how you might utilize those gifts. God gave you those gifts for a reason. Consider how you might utilize those gifts among us at Asbury. I cannot stress this enough. Asbury is not a restaurant that we go to and order off the menu. 
Go to Applebee's for that. Go to Cracker Barrel. That's not why Asbury exists. Asbury is not a social club that we join and then receive specific benefits. Asbury, like every other local church in this world, is the living body of Jesus Christ, the active body of Jesus Christ, a body that we are invited to serve, a body that we are encouraged to serve and to give ourselves to, not the other way around. And so on this All Saints Sunday, I want to challenge us. I want to challenge you and me. Let's drop the excuses. Let go of the hesitation. Stop saying, I've got this thing. And like those saints who have gone before us in the faith, let's recognize that we too are called by God to give of ourselves in service of the church so that more and more people might come to experience life and salvation that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was an associate pastor, right out of seminary, I was preaching a sermon one Sunday morning. Somebody had told me that the district superintendent was going to come to service. I was really nervous about that. The senior pastor was out of town. I was so focused looking for the district superintendent that I completely missed somebody who came to visit the service. This man came, and I later found out that he and his wife had been married at the church 20 years earlier. Neither one of them had been back since their wedding day, and their marriage was falling apart. In fact, they were on the very edge of divorce. So he came to the service, all distraught, all upset, And yet there was a volunteer greeter who took notice of him, saw that he was crying, and she felt moved by the Holy Spirit to go up to that man. And so she said to him, sir, I couldn't help but notice that you're upset. Is everything okay? He opened up. No, everything's not okay. My wife and I are getting a divorce. I feel as if my world is falling apart. And she said, sir, See that pastor up there right now speaking about God's love? My friend, he's talking to you. God loves you. God cares about you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And then she prayed with him. And then he went home. Well, later that afternoon, his wife came to pick up a few things and then to leave. But the two of them got to talking, said that he had been to church service earlier that day, and that he wanted to keep working on the marriage. He wanted to go to counseling. And she said, you know what? I want that too. And then she also said this, I want to go with you to church next week. So they went. The two of them together. They went that next week, and they went every single week after that. I would stand by the door greeting people as they left, they would walk out hand in hand. They stayed married. And do you know who they sat next to whenever they came to service? That volunteer greeter who had initially reached out to that very distraught man. They became the best of friends. 
The work of ministry, the work of the church, is not just for the pastors. It's not just for the church staff. It's for all God's people. Amazing things happen. Incredible things happen when the people of God serve. Hope is offered. Ministry is accomplished. All for the glory of Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.